Hey, what's up, guys? It's Dan from United Q. It's Wednesday, which means we have another awesome podcast to get you over hump day. I'm here with my co-host, Ben. Hello. And we're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ is dedicated to providing you with quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters, and you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. So if you're thinking about buying your first smoker, wanting to upgrade, or looking for charcoal cabinet smokers, check them out over at Max Barbecue. Barbecue Gourmet is devoted to promoting real barbecue and supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning barbecue rubs, sauces, marinades and accessories from the US and around the world. And you can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. So regardless of how you cook, whether it's on charcoal, wood, gas or electric, the real taste of barbecue can be yours all year round. And Commander Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation from smoking, roasting or searing. Commander Joe is the premium ceramic grill chosen by Michelin star chefs and barbecue enthusiasts alike. Get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commodajoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. And on today's show, we've got Matt Black. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, really good, Dan. Really good. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Great to have you on. Great to have you on. Excellent. Excellent. Could you just introduce yourself to our listeners who may not know you, or if they do, just give them a better insight into who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Well, my name is Matt Black. Um, I am the group head chef of Caravan Restaurants. Uh, been in the London scene cooking for about 20 years. Uh, cook for people with uh, like Gordon Ramsay and Jamie Oliver. Um, and now we're come on to Caravan and uh, we are revolutionising free cooking. Cool. So I, I was, when I was reading up about you, I saw this free cooking and I'm not quite sure what it is. So maybe some of our listeners won't know either. So could you give us an insight into the world of free cooking? Yeah, sure. Uh it started back probably at about 30 or 40 years ago, where uh, New Zealand, where we're all from, is a very, very young country. We actually don't have our own cuisine uh, or a cuisine that uh, we sort of stand next to. Um, there's a lot of native cuisines that we have within New Zealand, uh, which we're very proud of. But um, to actually have a sort of set way of cooking, like in France or Spain or Greece, uh, we don't have. So what we've done is that we've travelled around the world, we've um, and taken inspirations and um, flavours and techniques and uh, put that all together onto a plate. And uh, that's what free cooking is all about. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I didn't expect that to be the answer, to be honest. But that, that's, <laughs> a, that's a real cool way of doing things, actually. Probably more people do that than know, to be honest, don't they? Yeah, I would say that it, it's a, a technique or a style that is quite widely used just because, you know, uh, the palates over Europe and the UK have sort of furthered themselves what with uh, TV chefs and the amount of quality cookbooks that are coming out and, uh, yeah, the amount of quality chefs that are coming out and just showing people what good produce is and how to use it. Um, you know, it, it gone are the days, I suppose, of sausage and mash where there's nothing wrong with that. I love a good sausage and mash, but um, people are a little bit more sort of um, uh, adventurous when they go out. Yeah, and I think like nowadays we, we have all these recipes and people posting pictures and stuff from all over the world. Social media is a great thing and, and we see influence from all around the world and maybe we don't quite have the ingredients readily available to us. So I guess like a style of that cooking is then seeing what we have available to us and, and interpreting, a, interpreting a dish in, in a different way and maybe cooking it in a, in a different way with our local sort of techniques and stuff. Exactly. You know, we, we, we go away on holiday to Europe every year. Um, you know, you go and see all these great and strange and interesting foods from all of the all all over Europe. So you'll come back here, and then you know you would um, manipulate a recipe or something that you've changed. Uh, something that I love to do is I 
when I travel around, I speak to people and I say, what is your biggest influence? What is what is the thing that you absolutely love? And most of the people would either say their parents cooking or something they ate on holiday. So it was more sort of an experience or an environment rather than what they were um, actually taught when they were a kid. Yeah, we we're, we're literally, Dan and I, just having a conversation the other morning about like food influences from our parents. I think it was there was an article, I think, in like, the Times or something like that where it was... When was it's it? To do with Mother's Day. Oh, no, Mother's Day. Recipes from famous chefs um, that they would like to give to you on the Mother's Day, and how most of these recipes were coming from their mothers, really, weren't they? It was like my favourite recipe mm. is this old one that my mum used to cook for me, and we were kind of talking about. I guess that does influence our cooking as well, but it wasn't just around the mums. We were saying our dads have influenced the way we cook a lot as well. Oh, my dad was a useless cook. Yeah, ne- never cooked anything. My mum was the, the, the master chef in the family. I remember, because I was brought up in New Zealand, but my mother is uh, English. She was born in Manchester. So her cuisine was always very British. So we were living in a hot country, eating sausage and mash and roast lamb every every <laughs> Sunday and fish and chips sitting uh, on the beach. It was it was uh, proper, proper good British cuisine. That's probably why I fell in love with England so much and I, I haven't left, basically. Yeah. So the free cooking thing, does that influence, as in like the menu is very free, or is it in actual individual dishes themselves, or like more of a hybrid between cuisines? Well, the idea behind the free cooking is having no boundaries. So when we have chefs start with us, and they've been hammered into them for their careers that they can't cook like this, or they can't use that particular ingredient just because that we are this type of restaurant, or we're that type of restaurant, and we only deal with this type of food we we open the doors and let the chefs go for it obviously we're not there to freak anybody out or do anything too crazy or too strange but we we want to give them the freedom and have them come up with their own creative dishes from their travels from all over the world and uh you know all of the dishes and the way that we create them we create as a collective it's not um miles or myself right at the very top Miles is uh, the chef director of the company. Um, it, it's actually a coalition of all of us. We have these great, um, really inspirational cook-off days where we put a load of ingredients in the middle of the table and then we jump, we jump off and, um, yeah, we cook them. We, we come up with ideas and we come up with inspirations and um, flavours and seasons and, yeah, see what we can come down. And then we do all the background work after that, which is photography, um, recipes, Costa dishes, things like that. And you've, you've, there's three. You've got three restaurants, haven't you, in the caravan group? Um, yeah, that's correct. Are they, We've got a, different menus in each. Or are they all the same menu? No, um, we have slightly different uh, ambiences with each of them. So there might be three or four different type of things. Where Kings Cross, we focused on the pizzas. Um, we've got quite a big pizza menu up there, and we the style of pizza that we do is a Napoli style pizza, but We've got a lot of different influences that go onto the pizza. Where at Bankside, um, we built a charcuterie fridge, so we're curing all our own meats down there, um, mostly mussels at the moment. Um, we're sort of uh, developing a chorizo of our own. And then Exmouth Market, um, it had it, it was always about the coffee there. It was always uh, we got a roaster downstairs, um, and we used to roast fresh every day. Now we currently roast up at our King's Cross branch and about to move into a large warehouse. Awesome. So coffee's a big thing for you guys as well. It's it's massive. It's it's pretty much the heart of our business. When we opened up our business seven years ago, it was all about coffee um, and running a really good cafe um, and bringing 
to London and new style of dining called All Day Dining. So we don't close. We we open from 8 o'clock in the morning until 10.30 at night. And uh, you can come and have a whole meal. You can come and have afternoon tea, breakfast, dinner, small plates, tapas style, whatever you want, we've got it. Perfect. Something for everyone then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so w- when it comes to roasting coffee, then what's involved in in that? Like I've I've actually like I've bought roasted coffee beans and then I've smoked them myself at home and I've used that in like to make a smoked coffee and I've made like smoked rocks with it and stuff like that. But what at the stage that you've got them, I guess they're pre-roasted. So I've uh, they're already roasted by the time I've got them. What's the process of roasting coffee beans? Well. It's it's a it's a long sort of process. We as coffee roasters are responsible for translating um, coffee's unique taste and heritage. We use um, hard-earned expertise and to achieve this, founded on a framework of education and trial and error. So, our, our main goal is to showcase the care, the craft, and the hard work of of the coffee producer. Whether it's an individual farmer or a washing station or a cooperative, we are intrinsic link uh, in the sensory chain. So we use ProBat roasters and a crops to roasting technology to carefully monitor the roast curve, uh, development time, and total roast time. Um, a lot of Italian-style coffees is that they'll take them to a different colour of the coffee bean, where we actually use a technology where um, we don't take our beans past a certain uh, colour. And by controlling these factors, we're understanding the raw material. We can see varied degrees of flavour and profiles to bring out the best characteristics of every coffee we roast. And by the end of a roasting week, after every batch has been quality tested daily in the roastery, uh, the green beans that begin their journey in some of the most peaceful, beautiful places in the world have been roasted with care and attention and will make their way to the coffee drinkers throughout the UK and now the rest of the world because we're starting to go international. That's wow. amazing. I remember yeah. when I was chatting to you in uh, King's Cross caravan you were saying like i can't remember what you were saying basically like almost every single bag is individually individually marked to where it's like location came from and and farm and producer and stuff like that and uh did you say something about like to do with like altitude matters and then sort of where the, the coffee beans are produced and, and how how hot you roast them and stuff like that was that something like absolutely um you know most of most coffee in Colombia is, is all grown on an altitude. We use a particular breed of uh, coffee bean called Arabica, which is probably one of the best in the world. Um, and it's it's all about the the tropical um, climate, um, going from um, probably 2,000 meters and higher is where you get more of the quality coffee. Um, we work really closely with um, all our coffee growers. Um, coffee market is very up and down so you know one year the producer could be making a lot of money and the next week that they could come in and they don't make any money so what we do is we have got a team of people that go and work outside these boundaries um we don't want to um put any of for example um you know the pound's not looking too good at the moment we wouldn't put any of that onto the coffee farmer we will try to remain consistent with our buying. Um, we also go to the farm and work with the suppliers over a period of a month while they're harvesting to see different techniques of harvesting and giving our feedback and um, working with the farmer to say, right, next time that we're going to harvest them like this, 
um, to get a better quality bean. So we're in a win-win situation. We work really closely with them. We make sure that, you know, the places are ethically good. There are no child labour or um, they've got, you know, good facilities, you know, men's and women's toilets, sort of things like that. So we only work with farmers that do that. It's impressive. It's good. It's fair trade very much. <laughs> yeah, I remember like being blown away when you were chatting to me at King's Cross and like be, just being completely blown away by, by all of that and and just like the the attention to detail and just how it you seem so, so passionate about it and stuff like that. It just really... So I'm glad I got that right and I did actually take some of it in because I was sort of blown away by it. Well, it was quite cool. Great, great. I'm, I'm really good. We are. We've worked really hard over seven years and, you know, with, with our guys on the Copper Roastery, arguably for me, they're the best guys that I've, uh, I've ever worked with and they're really passionate about... Um, getting the right product but it's it, it, it's an ongoing thing you know it's not the type of thing where you can go and you buy tons of green beans and say okay cool we're just going to take these away it's about working with the supplier and the farmer and making sure that they're making their cut and you know with with fair trade and everything like that you know we're we're firm uh, believers of it but you know a lot of people are buying from an office in america or an office in the uk we're sending our guys out to spend time and it's absolutely hilarious so they're in the mountains you know, a couple of uh, London guys are stuck in the mountains of Colombia for three weeks while they're <laughs> harvesting coffee. As they come back, uh, like you know, sunburned and you know, got blooming mosquito bites and stuff, which is uh, really fun. So to, they to, are the to, get, some of this, of to get some of this coffee, <laughs> do I need do I need to come to London to get some of this coffee, or can I? Have you got a way to order it online? Or yeah, where? well, we've we've started to go um, international, but anywhere in the UK, uh, you can go online. Um, we've got the whole process, so. Um, it really depends how you want to extract the coffee, whether you've got, for example, a coffee machine or you've got a filter coffee, a Chemex, an AeroPress. Um, you can buy all of these things through our website um, and it will take you through the website. It will take you through every single process of how you like to enjoy your coffee. And I'm also right in thinking that, that you handpick who you supply as well. So basically... Your, who you're supplying with your coffee sort of outside of the consumer but business to business wise they have to make you, you make sure that they sort of uh, tick the boxes of sustainability as well yeah that's really important to us we while we you know welcome all business um, we also are very careful about who we do business with just purely because we we have a very strict sustainable policy and the ethos around our coffee so we want the right people representing us um, as a business, as well as you know, using our coffee and shouting out, shouting out about us and saying how great they are. So, um, yeah, you know, we 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 very rarely turn anybody away, um, but we make sure that the right people, we them the right people to uh, do this. Awesome, cool, cool. We sort of brushed over at the start, but you mentioned that you've sort of uh, chef with big names such as uh, Gordon Ramsay, Gordon Ramsay, and Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver. Yeah. And, and maybe yep. let's just dive into a bit of sort of your background as a chef and, and sort of uh, stuff like that. And you mentioned as also as well as about where you came from and stuff and, and you're a Maori, which you're really sort of proud of and, and how that influences you as a chef and, and sort of stuff like that. Okay, cool. Well, it uh, started many years ago, probably around about 1987. Um, <clears throat> wasn't doing too good in school and got a, uh, a, I got an incredible opportunity to uh, work at an access course. So we, we had back in the late 80s a, um, courses that were run by the government where you could go and do little introductions into different types of trades. And I chose to uh, jump in and be a chef. And uh, my tutor at that point said to me, um, 
you know, it looks like you've got a bit of talent. You understand what food is. Um, you understand how to boil an egg, um, which is uh, very rare in our <laughs> trade these days. Cool. Um, so, yeah, from there I went, I went on to school and um, I trained in New Zealand. I did a four-year apprenticeship um, at a restaurant called Dockside, which is in Wellington. Um, after that, I worked at um, New Zealand's uh, best coffee roaster, uh, which is called Cafe Lafare. That's where I started to learn about coffee and cooking, basically. Yeah. Uh, then after that, I had an opportunity to go to Australia. So I went there, worked at a, another coffee business. At this time, it was an Italian coffee business called SQR, um, and worked there for a couple of years and then um, moved over to the UK. Um, one of my reasons for moving over to the UK wasn't to cook. It was only to come over for a, a couple of years and to see uh, what it was all about and, uh, you know, just you get a little bit about from, my... from here, so yeah. I guess that, that was sort of part yeah. of it. I wanted to see that sort of side of things and... Yeah, exactly. And um, so you, the first job I got, um, the so house had just opened. So um, I didn't know anything about the UK or any about UK restaurants or chefs or anything. Um, and it was in the heyday of Marco Pierre White, so... It was when he had just been given his three Michelin stars. And I, I suppose Yonder, London was very young at that time. Um, coming into Soho House, I, I, from there, I had no idea um, or an understanding of what cooking was really about until I met these great chefs that I worked with there um, yeah. who had worked all over the world, who had worked in some of the best restaurants in the world. And then I'd never heard of Michelin stars. I'd, you know, cooking from where I was from was was a job, you know, and yeah. after you finish the job, you go play rugby and, you know, you go hang out with your mates, go have a couple of beers. Um, here it was all about a passion and a drive and an understanding of cuisine. And and that's where it really ignited my fire to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to make this into a proper career and really sort of push myself. So after that, I went to go work at uh, D&D London and I worked, ran the Bluebird as head chef for four years. And after that was at Maze uh, with Jason Atherton for a couple of years, and then uh, straight after that, um, I jumped in with Jamie Oliver, uh, opened his restaurant in Threadneedle Street, um, and ran that for four years, and uh, then moved over to Covent Garden. Um, after that, I felt that I'd taken enough of um, the industry and recipes and understanding of food to come over back home, as to say, and to come back to um, Caravan and uh, start to work with these guys over here. Um, with the directors, I've known them for um, a good 20 years. we all from Wellington, New Zealand. So we all came over here around about the same time with the same sort of pretense of just staying here for a couple of years, seeing where we come from. And uh, we're all still here. We all have families. We all live in London. Can't really call myself a Kiwi anymore. I would have to call myself a Londoner. Awesome. <laughs> what a journey you've had. Yeah, it has been. And it's still ongoing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And... You've uh, you've also got involved in the barbecue world as well whilst you've been doing this sort of thing. Um, what, yeah. What, what influenced you to get into like the barbecue world? Have you got, got a well, passion was, for barbecue? Yeah, well, it was a crazy story. I'd been working for Jamie Oliver um, for about a couple of years and he was about to release his book, 30-Minute Meals. And um, he was having the book release at, at my restaurant in Threadneedle Street. And um, he got a DJ to come down and play. Uh, basically, Jamie Oliver's wife, Jules, had seen this guy play at a party and he said, this guy wears spandex, he's absolutely brilliant, really great guy, really great DJ, I want him at your book launch. So he came down and I was I was setting up all the food and I that's where I met Christian Stevenson. Um, and we we spoke, we, we got together a little bit and um, 
went out for a couple of coffees, a couple of beers, of course, and uh, told me about the concept that he had on DJ Barbecue. And at the time, I was working for Jamie Oliver, and we were doing sort of a collaboration between us three where uh, Jamie and Christian um, sort of employed my help to come in and to give um, Christian a bit of a hand to help set up his company. Um, and the company uh, blossomed into DJ Barbecue. And it's been a whirlwind sort of tour of the last three to four years of uh, doing a lot of festivals. I think the first year we did 23 festivals, um, which was, a, it was a big, big um, learning curve for us because uh, we realized that um, th the best festivals that we did were family festivals or barbecue festivals. But um, yeah, now we're about to start up a, a concept called the uh, Barbecue Zoo, but I think we're going to keep that one a little bit under wraps until they uh, release it at Grillstock a little bit later, th later this year. Oh, sneak peek of something to come in the future. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about what these guys are going to do with uh, the Barbecue Zoo. And um, yeah, love working with Christian. He's a he's a great guy, and I'm sure that you guys uh, have, have spoken to him many times before. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. And like you say, he's um, crazy fun guy to be around. And yeah, it just, he is. Energy just expels from him. He's just a crazy guy. Yeah, he's my son's hero. Yeah. <laughs> He absolutely loves them. Um, my son wants to start to buy spandex like him. I was like, whoa, 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 take it easy. <laughs> I've, take seen, it easy. I've seen his lads wearing it as well. So <laughs> Yeah, I know. They do, don't they? Yeah. Oh, they're really cute. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so you, so you got involved. I used to see a lot of posts to see you in the background and see you posting stuff of this festival, this festival. It must have taken over your life a little bit doing all that. Yeah, it did. It was, it, it was a lot of fun, um, a lot of hard work. Um, when you... Are working a festival, um, it, it's it's a whole different ball game than working in a professional kitchen. Um, you know, it's it's non-stop. Again, you're not closing. Um, you are co constantly relentless, and you know, 99% of the time, you're out in the middle of the field with no hot running water, um, no gas, no electricity. Um, you know, you're you're living to the means of of what nature's going to throw at you. So, um, it was really good. It was a really really good. Um, learning curve for me and Christian and the rest of the DJ barbecue team. Um, big shout out to those guys as well. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, we had a, yeah, we had a really, really good time. Really good time. A lot of hangovers. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Going back to coffee, I was going to, I was going to say earlier when you said about your first job in, in, uh, in New Zealand and in, in the sort of premium sort of coffee place there. And I was saying, I was just thinking that like a lot of my friends, coffee's like one of those weird things that sort of when, whenever people tend to get involved, so even like down to sort of jobs, uni jobs and like coffee roast, uh, coffee shops and stuff, people tend to get, it's like something people can get super nerdy about and just super into because there's like, it's like a whole world of like sort of, of coffee, which is sort of like people don't really know about the, the average drinker doesn't tend to know about which when you speak to people, I mean, there's a couple of people in the barbecue community, like uh, like Matt Deacon and stuff, who are like super into coffee and yeah. proper nerd out about it, which is yeah. cool. Hey, I don't really. Claim oh yeah, to be an you know, expert, I I I don't consider myself a bit of a coffee nerd, even though I know a lot about it. Um, my family are into coffee. My uh, my brother ran um, one of Sweden's biggest coffee roasteries uh, over there, as per capita of head in the world. Sweden is the biggest coffee drinking nation in the world. Um, they are ridiculous on their coffee and uh, he's lived over there for 12 years and been involved in the coffee scene and um, you know I, I, I've come across people like this and uh, it's great it's great to see I love people that are passionate about a product um, I'm a chef which 
loves food. I love food. I love drink. I love everything around my industry because it's it's great. It's something that when you put it into your body, it keeps you alive. But you can also enjoy it and also look after it. Um, I think you'll find that in most um, trades of people who really, really enjoy their job, um, not too much probably lawyers or accounting, but I'm sure there are people that really enjoy it. But uh, um, <laughs> our, our trade, uh, you know, barbecue or food or cooking, um, is something that is a very loyal following and that um, we all look out for each other. And it's, I think it's a, a really good thing when you have those people in the same room and you're all just understanding that you're all singing from the same hymn sheet. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. We talk about the barbecue family a lot, and that's it. you just nailed it there, really, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, I love it. You know, one, one of my best dates in the year um, is Wilstock. I absolutely love Wilstock, and every time I go out there, like, you know, Ben um, and, and John are, are both very good friends of mine, and uh, uh, I've gone to the last five of them, and I was judges at two. Um, I, I, that when it, we all come together and we're all together in the same place barbecuing, it's just, it's a really, really, really good vibe. And having been able to put that across to, you know, 10,000, 11,000 people that come down over the weekend, it's a, it's a really special thing. Um, again, probably the worst hangover of my life would have had been a Sunday at Grillstock. Um, but it's, it's a good hangover. Yeah. That's the mental thing is Sunday at Grillstock, you, you you do wake up with a mental hangover, but Sunday's like the biggest day, so you just have to get straight back on it again and, yeah, and carry yeah, exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> when, you, when you've got uh, Dr. Sweet Smoke walking around with a bottle of Buffalo Trace, it's, uh, it gets uh, a, a little bit hairy. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Right, bro, it's been absolutely wicked talking to you. Thank you very much for coming on and, and giving us an insight into, into Matt Black and, and sort of Caravan and, and a bit of everything, really. Thank you, guys. Thank you for calling me. It's It's been a pleasure. And, um, yeah, can't wait to come down and see you guys soon. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. We'll see you Looking soon, forward mate. to it, bro. Excellent. Thank you. We'll Take catch care. Catch you soon, mate. Cheers. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We've recorded yet another awesome podcast to get you over hump day. As always, we're brought to you by Pro-Q Barbecue Gourmet Kamado, Joe, and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. Pro-Q is dedicated to providing you with quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice to beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Pro-Q Smokers. So if you're thinking about buying your first smoker, wanting to upgrade, or looking for charcoal cabinet smokers, check them out over at Max Barbecue. And Barbecue Gourmet is to promote, to promoting real barbecue inspired in the UK and Europe with top championship winning barbecue rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. And you can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. So regardless of how you cook, whether it's on charcoal, wood, gas or electric, the real taste of barbecue can be yours all year round. And Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation from smoking, roasting or searing. Kamado Joe is the premium ceramic grill chosen by Michelin star chefs and barbecue enthusiasts alike. Get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out kamadojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. Smoker Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. So if you're looking for smoking wood chunks, dust, chips or planks, then head on over to smokewoodshack.com and you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodshack. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. I'm the best puppy. You're